Welcome to I Caught It on Audio. This is 64 Tacos Book Club Episode 11, Doom Part 6. Hello and welcome to I Caught It on Audio. Today we are doing our 64 Tacos Book Club podcast. Uh, this is our sixth and final episode in which we'll, we will be talking about the Frank Herbert sci-fi classic Dune. We're going to be covering the second half of book three, and Matt is going to start us off with a brief summary of the events in this section. All right. We start out with Paul in a coma from Drinking the Water of Life. He's been out for like three weeks, and then he comes to, drinks more water, and goes back out. Because <laughs> he's Paul. There's a lot of fighting. Because he's uh, Jessica's daughter, as uh, as Cheney points out. Yes. <laughs> Uh, or Jessica's child, as Cheney points out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he identifies. Yeah, we don't. We know what Frank Herbert thinks, but yeah, nobody asked Paul. No. The Baron and Emperor are bringing their forces to bear on Arrakis. Uh, there's a lot of fighting and more fighting. And then um, there's an attack where Paul's son dies. Then the Fre- Fremen attack the city on sandworms. Uh, the Baron is killed by Paul's little sister, Aaliyah. The Emperor's cornered. Paul threatens to destroy the spice. Phaedratha fights Paul in hand-to-hand combat after Gurney complains for way too long. Yes, he did. Oh my gosh, it was so long. <laughs> stop, stop being a little bitch, Gurney Halleck. You ugly uh, lump of a man. <laughs> Paul kills Phaedratha after, like, a lot of talk about a needle on his girdle. And, um, <laughs> then Paul threatens to destroy the spice if the emperor doesn't advocate and let him marry his daughter. It ends with the mother of Paul's dead son and Jessica talking about how they'll be remembered as the true wives, even though they weren't the real wives. My first question is Did Jessica need to actually get involved with turning, uh, removing the poison from the water because Paul says that he already removed it. I don't think she did. I, I think that it, maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but I, the way I read it was she was putting some in her mouth so she could change it while it was in her mouth and then they could give it to him. And he went straight to the source and was like, no, nah, no, nah, it's all good. And just drank a handful or a cupful or whatever and was fine. But may- maybe I mis- misread that. That's how I read it, Dan. Yeah. Paul was laying there, and then Cheney fingers his nose with the uh, <laughs> with, with the water on his on her fingers. He gives a little sniff, sniff. And then Jessica takes a little drink and changes the poison. And then Paul wakes up and, and says that she doesn't have to do that. Pretty yeah, I don't sure. think she actually has changed the, well, she was in the, she was about to do it. I think, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what the timing was, but the important thing is that he didn't need her to do it. Cause he, it was already safe for him. So then why was he just chilling there? Why, why didn't he wake up? What woke him up? I don't know. Was it, was it when Chani put the water under his nose that sort of brought him out of his trance? I mean, he was, he didn't know how long he'd been under. He was, he was just having like seeing visions. Right. And they didn't seem to know why he was in that coma like state. And so I think it was Cheney that, that was the one that discovered or figured out that he, he must have had the water of life. And that was what put him in that state. 
Um, right. But yeah, I, I I felt this part was a little bit confusing as well as as far as like you know how how they got him out of it, how did they got him out of the trance, and why he needed to be in the trance for for that long as well. But that was you know from the previous section, it was he wanted to go and have the water of life to get the the prescience back. He was sort of losing that as as his spice tolerance went up and so this was the extreme amount that was that then put him in that trance state maybe he just needed to be in that state for for as long as it took for him to figure out what he needed to figure out and see the future or see the the now as he 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 referred to it yeah it's all pretty vague this all the the sort of voodoo of the spice and what it does with Paul's brain. Like the, in the entire book, it's all kind of vague. It's it's hard to really pin down exactly what he means because of the, the the way the language is used. But it's one of those things that you just kind of have to accept as, okay, he's got magic powers, you know. <laughs> it could also be that maybe um, the presence of Cheney was the thing that helped him come out of it. Uh, maybe he was just sort of waiting for that, you know, for something familiar and inviting to uh, to come and stick her finger under his nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was either it was either her presence or it was somebody putting the water of life that close to to him, where he could where he could sense it. But I also think, you know, when he says that it wasn't actually poison, that the implication there is that he's not in a coma state from being poisoned. He's in this trance trance state from having the yeah. the excess of, of the drug. Yes. From doing the thing that he needed it to do. Yeah, he yeah. says he converted it. So he was able to process it and change it from poison to pure spice or whatever, whatever the water of life actually is like extra concentrated mm -hmm. magic power. I don't know. <laughs> and then when, when he says that if they put the water of life above a pre-spice mass, that's going to create the water of death. Does that imply, uh, I, the, here's another confusing part that I've and uh, one of my questions was, is it that they're just going to put water all over Arrakis and that's going to basically kill all the spice production off or the spice ability to get it from the worms because most of the worms will die, uh, presumably? Or is it something where the water of life being this kind of poison, su poison substance from a worm dying, if they put that into the spice it sort of like poisons the well almost that's what i thought okay that's that's what i that's kind of the way i was going but i was i was curious about your guys' uh, opinions because i didn't it was it was slightly vague and not exacting <laughs> well both of those things that you mentioned i think are true that the dream to, to convert arrakis to like a more fertile land and not be all desert if you complete the dream, then there there are no sandworms, right? So there's right. That's true, but there's a specific idea he had, which was if we put this this poison to everybody else who's not me, you know, the magic magic man on the above the spice, we can just do that to all the spice reserves, and then nobody can can have spice because okay. they they can take it, but they'll die. That that was what I was thinking, but it it isn't super clear. I don't think if anybody else has any better interpretations or, or alternate interpretations, I'd, I'd welcome, welcome them. No, that was all very confusing. Why did there need to be the spice thing for if the water of life is already going to kill everyone, like who is not a Benny Jesser, which or Paul, why did they need to, what did that have to do with anything else? Why did they need to turn it into water of death? Like I, that I didn't well, understand one bit. 
Well, I think it's because people, they would just, they poison the spice, right? People like, need spice. Like metaphorically, it's water of death because yeah. it's killing all the spice. Yes, the spice would yeah. become water of death because, well, or, or maybe metaphorically, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It's very, it's, it's vague, but people need spice for the, for the guild to the navigation guild. And because everyone who's had it is addicted. So if they poison all the spice, then whether it's literally water of death or the, or the idea of this water of life will become the water of death if we, if we poison the, the, um, the spice, it would mean not only no more traveling between worlds because the, the Navigator's Guild can't function, but also anyone who's had spice will die if they can't get more spice in the long run. Do, do we think that Paul would actually destroy all the spice to, to do the, th- that thing to, to, you know, to have the control to, you know, cause he talks, they talk about how the, he who controls a thing, who, who, he, who can destroy, can destroy a, thing, a thing, yeah controls the thing. But I'm just wondering if Paul, the addict, the spice addict would actually. Are we talking about Paul Atreides? Are we talking about Maldiv? Because apparently, depending on which name he uses, he has different obligations. Uh huh. <laughs> I think unifying all of those, he's still a spice addict <laughs> at, the, at his heart. So, and, and that's what makes me think he probably wouldn't actually do that or he wouldn't. Maybe not. He, yeah. But that would be probably the only way to stop the jihad that he was trying to stop and then at a certain point realizes he can't stop so maybe he would make the sacrifice mm-hmm. i don't know it would kill a lot of people also so maybe that's not better so they used the family atomics to blast a hole in the shield on the emperor's uh ship right no no the shield wall is a giant like rock face that the reason that all the civilization, like the cities and villages, exist is because that protects the natural storms. Um, it hits the shield wall and like takes a bunch of the strength out of it. So like the um, so this is a physical. Yeah, it's a physical. Thing. I looked it up because I was it was a little unclear because they call it a shield wall and there are shields. Yeah, but it's so, that's the name of a giant rock outcropping that protects the stuff on the other side of it where all the civilization exists on on Arrakis. Right, so all all of the cities are within the shield wall, and yeah, then outside of that is that. is the vast desert of their world. Yes, and then they use the family atomics to break this giant uh, structure. Yeah, they just blast a hole in in, in the in the mountain mountain essentially in the cliff, and okay. then they ride sandworms into the cities. And, and um, uh, was there no radiation from the family atomics? There probably was. There's never know. radiation in sci-fi books from this era's oh. nukes. But the funny thing about it is they they talked about the effects of the radiation, the lingering radiation from destroying a shield with a laser gun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> we don't. Know, this is so far in the future that we don't know if they figured out atomics. And, These are clean we, atomics. Who knows? <laughs> they're, they're family friendly. Atomics. Vol, vol, Volkswagen proved conclusively that you can do it uh, okay. without any sort of you know um, cheating or anything. But yeah, yeah, so presumably they're they don't have them because obviously Frank Herbert, unless he's a real idiot, is aware of what happened when we drop atomic bombs twenty years earlier. I don't. I don't think you could. If it was nineteen like forty, you might say, "Oh yeah, atomics," and, and you, you could claim ignorance that an atomic bomb wouldn't have those consequences. But you obviously couldn't ride right through the the wake of where you just set a bomb off, you know, an atomic bomb. So they must be they must be safe atomics. Safe atomics. Yeah. 
Family time. Yeah, that's family. Family sin. <laughs> <laughs> was the the death of little little Leto pointless? What was the point of that? Because it just seems like out of the blue, he's dead. It wasn't really a fleshed out character to begin with. I mean, it was always just yeah. kind of like in the background. But I just felt like it didn't really, I mean, Paul was already on the path. It wasn't like it. he needed that solidification of his yeah, you know, like intentions. Often, often in storytelling, you'll, you'll give your character an extra motive to finally go to get them over the threshold, right? And that's maybe that's what you're, you're wondering is, was, was this an attempt was, at that? Or because yeah. it certainly didn't feel like it. Because I, as, a, as a reader, I didn't have any care one way or another about a little duke leto i mean sure a child dying and that's that's bad but why did we care about that character beyond that it felt pretty pointless to me well i think it one thing it did is it showed how less of a normal human paul is becoming because he he wasn't greatly affected by it and also Mm -hmm. it, it was it wasn't a plot mechanism but like bad things happen when you're fighting each other yeah it kind of comes out of nowhere like you're you're not expecting it and you're like oh okay the emperor is dangerous because look he, he was able to get to you know the, the the safe place where um the son and um and sister of of you know paul were were, were being hidden away uh in safety yeah. so I, I guess it could work that way but i i just figured it was casualty of, of violence you know and I guess that's fairly realistic, even though it didn't really serve a very specific plot purpose. And they can always make more, so. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> M- many Paul, more sons. Paul Maudib promised it. Yeah. To his concubine, Cheney. Yes. Osu. The one the one who knows his tender love. That's right, tender <laughs> love. tender lover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Famously. So my last question is, do we think that Paul summoned that storm? Does he have that type of ability or was it just a convenient, you know, was it a, a thing that was happening at the same time and they used that as their, as their uh, cover? I, I didn't get the impression that Paul summoned the great, 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 great grandmother of a storm. Okay. Yeah, I think that was superstition of the Fremen who more and more see him as a sort of like a holy figure. Like they were like, that's his storm, you know, yeah. but I think yeah. they were just taking advantage of timing. Like, here comes the storm. Now's our chance. Did you guys feel like it kind of wrapped up abruptly? Yes. Yes. I've always felt that about this book. It's like kinda... there's a lot going on. And then all of a sudden it's yep. just a couple of um, chapter ish things because they're not really chapters, I guess. But no, <laughs> certainly not numbered. But that is that is how this book has been. It's like long expository, dense world building and then a burst of action. And yeah. then you settle down. So this was just a final, a final burst of action. But yes, it, it suddenly it all came to, to a head. Did you guys think on that subject of the end here? Did you find the Baron's demise poetic or appropriate, or did it seem very like quick and weird? Like you, did you expect Aaliyah to be the one to just slip in there and kill him? You know, you're talking about the midget abomination, Aaliyah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I have to you, say, using the ganja bar on her <laughs> grandfather. I thoroughly enjoyed the whole section just because of how befuddled <laughs> the Baron was. Like, what's going on? I know uh, he has no control of what's suddenly all his plans within plans within plans. plans <laughs> this tiny, precocious person <laughs> says super weird shit to him, and then like pokes him with a needle, like ah, and then he just dies. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm interested to see how that plays out in the movie. I wish, I wish that scene had been voiced by the voice actors. Um, mm. Though I don't, I feel like it was also written for a little bit of comedy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it feels like there was. It wasn't meant to be a big dramatic scene so much as this great comedy uh, coming to a conclusion. They just don't expect her to act the way she acts. And right. so it, the comedy is in, she says something preposterous and weirdly wise and inscrutable. <laughs> and they're like, huh? <laughs> that's, that's just a tiny kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. My other question was, did you think that the Reverend Mother Helena, you know, Bohiam, whatever her name was. Did you think that she turned into a weird caricature compared to the way she was at the beginning of the book? Like she is kind of lost, lost it. Explicitly described her as a caricature of a witch um, yeah. several times in this last section. It didn't seem quite, it seemed like um, a different characterization than what we got at the beginning, you know, in the opening yeah. chapters of the book. Yeah, she she definitely lost all her power and presence as well do, do like, we know what happened to her i i forget did i think I she's alive that? yeah she's she's still alive right yeah i, I yeah. think she's probably well i mean she's 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 so so she's the truth sayer for the emperor right for the emperor right and the emperor is still alive yeah he's alive but he's going to be basically given his um his prison planet his prison planet yep but she of course is a high-ranking Benny Gesserit, so presumably she can just withdraw back to her her group mm-hmm. her uh, weird uh, breeding cult but i don't think they really specify too much i i don't remember her dying that's for sure i will say i do kind of wish that we got another page or two of fighting from the 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 duel at the very end yeah i feel like it it could have been stretched out a little bit and that would have worked it, i don't know that it felt abrupt exactly but there could have been some more some more drama in that battle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that would have been cool. It it was definitely enjoyable that that scene. Yeah. It was a nice yeah. little action sequence to to wrap stuff up. And a good contrast to the uh the other hand-to-hand combats that we've had. Where now we've got previously we had Vedralfa against a slave where he was destined to you know he was going to win. It was pre predetermined he was going to win. And we had had Paul against Jameis, which was, we knew, of course, the main character was going to win, but how was that going to play out? But now we had those two characters with their different fighting styles. And um, I thought I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. And it more is, of that yeah. would have been cool. That's when I first read the book, when I was too young to read the book to really understand it. That was one of the highlights for me, the very end sequence with, with, the, with the duel. And I think it holds up pretty well. But like I said, I, if they gave me more, I wouldn't be mad. So Matt, overall, what did you think of the recording of the book? Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I liked the voice actors they used, and it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I I enjoyed it too. I wish, obviously, I wish it had been all voice actors and the narrator doing the narrator parts. I think that would have been better. Previous books that I've listened to, when it's just a narrator reading and then doing you know mild voices, I like that, and then I really like the full production with like the Narnia series that I have. And I think that's better overall. And it's it's good to have just part of it being narrated or a voiced, I guess. It kind of detracts from when the narrator's voice voicing. Like I don't mind it if the narrator doing the voices, if they're the only one doing the voices, but I feel like it it falls a little short when you've got scenes where there are professional voice actors reading the lines as and then you have other scenes where you've got some guy reading the Baron's vo- Baron's words and whatnot. So 
Yeah, it's like a weird half yeah. measure. Like, why yeah. why do it halfway? And did yeah, they just run out of money, or I, I don't know. I, I don't know. This was 2015, I believe, when so this was produced. So, jeez, I don't know if um, if the movie was on the horizons at that point. I'm sure they were talking about it, but you know, yeah, but yeah, it's not like it's an old recording of it. It's it's very re- re- very recent. Zach, how much of it did you wind up listening to? I listened to parts here and there, and then this last section, I um, read it, then listened to it in the car when we were driving. Okay. And yeah, I, I'm of the same opinion. It would have been nice if it was consistent throughout. And there there were parts where I noticed where the spoken parts were, you know, done sort of in this back and forth way, but then there were little, little bits about, you know, the way people said things or little background bits that went between that just got completely dropped and left left aside. So it's kind of an inferior product. If it's saying something like you said in a matter of fact tone or whatever, then okay, that then that's that's how the the line is delivered. Okay, cool. Right. That works. But when there's other other little pieces in there that give little hints about the intentions or the what the person is kind of thinking and that just gets completely dropped out because they're they're doing the play thing the back and forth dialogue stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It just, it seems like you're, you're missing out on some stuff there. And had they, had they done it more consistent throughout the whole thing, then they could have just had it where the, you know, the voice actors do their parts and then the narrator fills in all the, the, all the blanks for everything else. Yeah. After um, listening to this section twice through, like I'd done with all the other sections, I just, I decided that I'd try to listen to the entire book straight, and I got through most of it. There were a couple of things that I had questions about from earlier. Whatever happened to the Chris knife that Mapes gave to Jessica? Did that ever come back around? Now, that, was that the knife I don't that think so. Paul used against with against Jamis, or was that one from Channing? I'm, I'm trying to remember now. I don't think that it was the knife he used against uh, Jamis. No. Yeah. Okay. I thought it might have been that, but I don't actually remember one way or the other. Because a really big deal was made out of that, that knife. Yeah. And how right. it was important to get to Jessica. And then we never got a payoff on it. So that, I thought that was a little disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he kind of like let that fall by the wayside. Yeah. There could have been a great opportunity for that important item that was so important for Mapes to get to Jessica to come yeah. full circle. So I don't know. It would have been nice to see the um, Hunter Seekers again at some point later on in the book. I thought mm-hmm. that there yeah. was a lot of attention p- paid to the importance of that device all for that one one section and then we never see it again. Yeah. <laughs> we did get the uh, Gom Jabbar back at the end, which was yes. kind of fun. I thought, yeah. that was, I thought that was really cool. When we got to the whole uh, Lady Fenring and Count Fenring section, where where they're at the uh, arena, the arena watching the gladiator events, I didn't realize that that was the same character who had left the secret me- secret message in the oh, weirding yeah, yeah. room for Lady Jessica. So that was that was neat to go back and and mm-hmm. relearn that. I think I think going back and knowing the end of the story helped me understand the next time, this last time through that I went through it. Because there's so much, just so very much in this in this story that it's hard to remember something that you know you listened to three weeks prior and who that you know and that character has not been mentioned once since. And then all of a sudden they surface again. Especially when you're listening, because I think when you're reading, at least for me, when I see the name, there's like an easier connection because I'm not just hearing a word pass by. And there's so many new words that you you can very easily be like, oh, well, whatever. 
Yeah. And it's not like I don't see words when I'm reading a book like this and be like, oh, what does what does fidacant or whatever mean again? Like, uh, I can't remember. But like with names, it's easier to connect the two. But if you're listening, I imagine you're just like, oh, there's another name that you know I'm not seeing. I'm just hearing someone say so. Well, and for me, I'm terrible with names anyway. So that is always an obstacle for me when I'm reading. But you caught it the second time without any issue, right? But yes. Going back, having having listened to the gladiator scene and then the, the final scene where Lady Fenric is, again, I caught the name in the opening scenes where Jessica's in the weirding room. And yeah, I thought that was neat. This is one of the cool things about that the reasons that I like to reread books that I that I know. I mean, part of me is like you could be reading a new book, but um it's a little bit like rewatching The Sixth Sense, spoiler alert. Like when you know how it ends, <laughs> you can see like the clues that, yeah. that are, you know, the little like intrigues and, and stuff. You're like, oh, I see why they're doing that, you know. Right. Which it it can just pass by you the first time because you're like, I don't know what's important or essential. Yeah. And you know, when you go back again, then you start to see the big picture because you know how it's gonna where it's all headed. Uh, what's your, what's uh, each one of you guys' favorite part of the book? Uh, for me, it was the uh, funeral of Jameis. I really liked how that was kind of sort of solidifying some of their cultural aspects in the Fremen and then also kind of Paul's shift from the boyish innocence to the more manly leadership role. When I first read the book, my two favorite parts were the the opening when he's um, being tested by by the mother, the Reverend Mother, at the very beginning of the book, and then the very end of the book where he has the uh, duel with Fade Rautha. But now I think my favorite scene this last time is the whole confrontation when Aaliyah like kills her grandfather. That whole that whole scene was just really really enjoyable this time around. <laughs> I think for me, it was any time that the voice actor was voicing the Baron Harkonnen because he was phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) It was just so engaging and just so, just this booming deep. You knew he was evil and just so good. Matt, you had any uh, favorite spot of the book, part of the book? I I think my favorite parts of the book were uh, early on when we first got to Arrakis and the world building that was going on with that on how Arrakis worked and the gathering of spice and the introduction of the sandworms and all that. Now that we've all read the book and we've all seen the movie, right? The the Dune one? Yes. Did you think any of the casting was especially good or was especially bad does anything jump out at you as being either incongruous or or exactly correct i think the casting of josh brolin as the ugly lump of a man gurney halleck is a little little uh, inadequate yeah well it's it's like Tyrion in game of thrones you're like yeah that is that is a very handsome yeah, you know, <laughs> man, and, you're, and you want me to believe like in the book he's this sort of scarred like you know yeah. like misshapen you know like he's all considered a freak and you're like oh that's just a good looking dude you know right, exactly like a scratch across his eye <laughs> <laughs> right so i think i think that's uh, inadequate i don't really remember too much of the the first dune movie uh, we're actually going to watch it this afternoon um, while it's still on netflix it's on netflix till the end of the month fyi I don't know. I think it was interesting that they cast a uh, female character, cast Kynes as a female character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it worked. There's no reason it couldn't yeah. be. I mean, it was and 1965, you know, and that's probably know why that they most ever refer know. to Kynes. Maybe, maybe they, they do, say but. he has a wife that's a Fremen. Okay, yes, yes. So then maybe so, she has a yeah. wife that's a Fremen or she has a husband that's a Fremen. 
Doesn't yep. really matter. I don't remember. Doesn't change anything. No. So I thought that was good. Zendaya as the elfin-faced Cheney is good. We'll see. I don't think Cheney gets developed very much, so we'll see what they do with, with their superstar um, young actress Zendaya. See if they fill her, her character out a little bit more. What is it? Uh, Timothy Chalamet as Paul. What? Mm-hmm. Paul Madib, Arrakis, Atreus. <laughs> Lisa Al Gaib, Usu, Usu. <laughs> I, I think he's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he's he's he does appear much younger than he is, which I think works for, yeah. the, for the character. And he, he looks like the way I imagine Paul, more or less. Zach, are you still thinking he needs to be more like Kyle McLaughlin? Uh, <laughs> well, that Kyle is a poor casting. Is, all right, is amazing, but yeah, yes. no, he's like it's fifty. Kyle <laughs> um, McLaughlin's been fifty for his entire career. Like that dude's yeah. always been in it, even when he was young. Yeah, um, I love him. Don't get me wrong. Oh, he's great, um, but it doesn't seem like Paul to me ever. No, was was Paul supposed to have like a? I think there was a part in the this end part, maybe when he's um kind of in the coma state where it says he has like a soft beard or something. Do you guys remember um, that? I, I didn't don't catch remember that. that. I, didn't I, catch I do that. remember that. Uh, I'm just Maybe curious it's just like if some, Timothy uh, Chalamet can actually some grow some catfish, <laughs> some catfish whiskers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they got prosthetics. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, Javier Bardem as Stilgar is my mm. favorite of the cast yeah. because he's just so really forceful in his yes. in his way. And that it works perfectly for Stilgar. It's funny. I didn't remember who played Stilgar. And so, you know, I had obviously seen the movie poster um, and I saw that Jason Momoa was in it. So, you know, I assumed Jason Momoa was going to play another a Fremen Fremen, you know, play the Fremen, right? Play the big, strong Fremen. And I don't know who, who does he wind up playing? He plays Duncan Idaho, He's, and that's, yeah, Duncan Idaho. That's my least favorite casting, not because his personality is exactly wrong. He just his tone of acting is so different from everybody else's yeah. in the movie that it just stands out as being a little strange. Yeah, um, yeah. I just I feel like the Stilgar character would be. I, I assumed it was going to be Jason Momoa because of his Game of Thrones character. Mm. Um, there's there are some similarities between those two characters, you know. Yeah, brutal societies and all that stuff, but clearly that was not the case. <laughs> who plays Fade Ralpha? Uh, it's going to be Austin Butler. Austin Butler, yes, the guy who played Elvis. Yes, presumably yep. he'll have a Memphis accent. Yep, <laughs> can only assume. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. I don't. And who plays the uh, the Reverend uh, That's, Mother? Um, oh, what's her name? Um, Charlotte, Charlotte Rampling. Rampling. Yeah. Yeah. And she's she has a, a a sort of unsettling look to her, sort of a weird a weirdness in her. She as an actress, like she always has this sort of like weird weirdness to her. So I think that's oh, yeah. pretty good casting. I really think that um the the Sarah Ferguson is that it Rebecca Ferguson Rebecca Ferguson who who plays Jessica is uh, it was was really really good casting. That was one of my favorites as well. Yeah, I don't remember that character from the movie. Well, she's only in most of it. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember the movie at all. Like mm. as as we were listening to this, I was like, okay, I remember there were some dragonfly looking ships that they flew flew around in. Those must be the Thopters. But man, beyond that, I don't remember the movie at all. I don't know. You seem to have some, some pretty good insights when you reviewed it initially. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded very, very well articulated. <laughs> Well, for me, the uh, the David Lynch Dune from 1984 is much more that stands out 
as being much more memorable um, just because David Lynch is such a freak of nature with his style of filmmaking. Oh, yeah. It's bizarre. And while, while it's, for it's sure. not, it's by no means perfect and it's, it's not even that great of an adaptation. I think he does some interest. He picked up on interesting things in the, in the book and went and magnified them to their extreme <laughs> in some cases. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's for, for me, that's kind of the one that is always sort of present in my mind when I think of Dune film, you know? Yeah. And I've watched the new one a couple of times and, and it, and I really like what they did with it, but it just doesn't have that same sort of memorable impact as watching a David Lynch film of, with a 50 year old Kyle McLaughlin (laughs) in, uh, in the, you know, the late eighties, early nineties. So there's, there's something about that one. That's always going to kind of uh, be stuck in my mind. But that's your first, like you saw that before you read the book or anything, right? Yes. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. I mean, David Lynch, that was a bad adaptation, but a, still a good movie, you know, like it's, yeah, that's, that's the way I look at it. This it's is a much more faithful adaptation, Yeah, but it is, it is less bizarre, but it is like the, the scale, the, the way that Villeneuve like films scale in all of his movies is really, really impressive. And I don't know if I've ever seen it done better. You get the, the sense of, of size and place that you get from the movie is really, really amazing. But it is a little more by the numbers for sure than certainly than uh, 84 Dune. Yeah. We're going to talk uh, soon after we all see the Dune part two, right? Yep. 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 One of our, our upcoming, final impressions there. Yeah. One of our upcoming water cooler chats is going to be on the Dune 2 movie. Um, so you can look for that coming soon. Uh, tell us what you think about Dune in the comments. Like and subscribe if you do that kind of thing. And if you want more content like this, you can find everything we've done at 64tacos.com. And if you really liked it, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash 64tacos and you can buy us a taco. Thanks for listening. I caught it on audio. 